Dear baby, I hope someday somebody wants to hold you for 20 minutes straight, and that's all they do. They don't pull away, they don't look at your face, they don't try to kiss you. All they do is wrap you up in their arms and hold on tight without an ounce of selfishness to it. Welcome to part two of our waitress episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, we were sparing Rachel this part of the show. We've been talking about waitress for a while now. It was time for her to just duck out and check on her non-abusive husband. In the (laughs) meantime... uh, Got to go over the things that are happening on our Patreon channel. First and foremost, of course, the Patreon takeover is it's all over our, our main feed. But on the Patreon feed, uh, you're going to have the usual cutting room floor stuff. If you're on the ground floor, that's the your, your first point of access is the clips that don't make it into our official episodes. And this month, the bonus episode that's only on the Patreon feed is on the movie Thunder Road, the 2018 Thunder Road, because there's uh, at least one more Thunder Road from uh, much further back in American history. But no, this is the Jim mm. Cummings Thunder Road. It is a uh, first time watch for both of us, and it comes courtesy of patron Jamie Russell, who also picked the About a Boy episode uh, from a couple weeks ago. So that's that's there for you on the ground floor and to any other tiers. Now, if you go a tier up to the Winonis, and then every tier further up uh you'll get access to our pre-recording notes stuff that we we jot down while we're watching the movies and then our qvrs are quick video reviews uh this month patron jordan has assigned the horror movie skin of rink to alex is that a shutter exclusive alex or is it just a, a horror movie that happens to be on shutter yeah it looks like it was distributed by shutter limited theatrical release but looks okay. like you were on the ball there a shutter original you don't have shutter so you don't know when you start anything on there and when you fire up the app it shows the shutter logo and goes dun dun <laughs> dun dun all right well i will i will learn about skinema rank from your video as as will all our other patrons uh, and then i got assigned the movie dash cam which Again, uh, I, I know nothing about, I think I mentioned it before, I think it's from the director of Host. <laughs> I threw that accusation, I think, two episodes ago, and I still haven't fact-checked it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but there it is. Uh, all right, that's as far as quick video reviews go. And then we go into Contrarians After Hours. The spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're thinking about listening to playing uh, alex what are we talking about when it comes to you on contrast after hours we're doing that thing again where we're kind of messing with timelines so as we record this i'm set to go to disney world i'm flying out to orlando tomorrow uh, but before this episode will be released i will have returned so i will be recapping my journeys to orlando and Specifically Disney World, because I really have no interest in leaving Disney property when when I'm there, because Florida is obviously a fucking hellscape. Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, I've been several times before, so I kind of have my usual places I need to hit. You know, Muppet Vision 3D, uh, Expedition Everest, but I'm very much looking forward to returning to Pandora. 
and mm-hmm. also going to try really hard to figure out the uh, the lightning lane uh, access and go on the rise of the resistance, which wasn't I don't believe it was open or it was like test running the last time I was there. Um, and that's obviously the new Star Wars ride in uh, Galaxy's Edge, which Galaxy's Edge is fucking awesome. Um, so uh, I would like to uh, say to our all our Florida listeners, uh, you know where you live. Just like Alex and I know we live in Texas. Feel free oh, yeah. to tell us that Texas is a hellhole. <laughs> we yeah, won't disagree that, with you. <laughs> yeah, uh, no disrespect to, you know, I got a buddy of mine, JJ, lives in Orlando. I'm hoping to see him. If not there, he'll be in L.A., so I'll get to see him soon. But, you know, I got friends down in Florida. Uh, and, yeah, it's, you know, Austin is okay. But if you drive 10 minutes in any direction, you're immediately reminded of, like, what texas is so we know so you can't say anything to us we haven't said to each other uh well on the on my side of the after hours and and kind of alluding to that that weird uh time distortion that we have with this recording and it's publishing i'm gonna be telling you about uh the movies after sun and the fablemans the fablemans of course the latest steven spielberg movie nominated for i don't know a gazillion categories at the Oscars and after Sun got a nomination for uh best leading actor for Paul Mescal and at the time of uh, recording this we don't know how the, how the Oscars went but by the time they record the after hours we will know so I will tell you about the movies uh, how they did at the Oscars but also just about the movies themselves like what what I thought about them so uh, the fatal man's after Sun and Alex's trip to Disney the oasis in the Hell, that is Florida. <laughs> uh, if you, any of that sounds interesting, go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime. Uh, that's where you can find our, our patron page. You can look at our tiers and decide if you would like to join the contrarian supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10 are respective tiers. Head on over, take a look around, drop a dollar in the. Uh, the proverbial tip jar there. Just take a look around. It gets you access on the ground floor, as Julio stated, and uh, you'll have access to everything dating back to our first patron-exclusive episode covering Blue is Warmest Color. You'll have access to all five parts and the uh, little offshoots of our Roxena mega series, as we dubbed it, uh, covering that feud and the, the movie careers of both men involved. That was our first patron-exclusive miniseries. And now it can be told. The Contrarian's patron-exclusive miniseries returns, and this time we're wearing pink. The Contrarians proudly present Lohan, a four-part series. Part one, we'll travel back to the early 2000s and visit the early promise of Freaky Friday, Mean Girls, and Herbie Fully Loaded. Part two will cover Miss Lohan's first and most recent Saturday Night Live hosting appearances and several of her television appearances in between. Part three takes a turn as we deep dive an era with a decidedly different tone, covering Chapter 27, Labor Pains, and The Canyons. We conclude this saga on the main feed when we celebrate a Christmas in July, with the possible beginnings of a comeback, Falling for Christmas. Part 1 drops in April, and a $1 subscription on Patreon will get you access to the entire series and any bonuses that may come along the way. Yes, that is right, patrons, and any potential patrons out there. 
I think this might be the one to get you to go drop that dollar or three or five or maybe even ten uh, as we are going to be beginning Lohan covering the career and the life and times of one Lindsay Lohan, someone who uh, obviously for people in our age range, Julio, was someone who had great promise and an interesting um, endless amount of prospects and you know options it seemed at one point in time uh, in front of her and obviously um, – one thing I want to get out of the way here quickly is that we're not going to be using this time to try to, you know, shame or question the life choices of someone else because I think that's uh, uh, something we will talk about. That's a go-to for people with Lindsay Lohan. I think there is an interesting um, story to her career and the the movies she's been involved in, specifically the ones we'll be covering. But we'll be dropping this for patrons in three parts: part one in April, part two in May, and part three in June. And then uh, on the main timeline, free for all, we will be discussing falling for Christmas. Julio, this is a project you and I have been discussing for quite some time. I think there's obviously a lot of material to discuss, both on set and off. So I'm I'm excited. And you were the one who decided we will call this Lohan, and it's important <laughs> that we, we stress to listeners that it it's meant to be read and seen in the font of the Logan poster. Yes. So. Any listeners that are handy with graphic design, if you want to make a, a Lohan poster, we're not going to say no. But <laughs> but yeah, it's a, we get it. It's a joke that doesn't translate very well <laughs> when it's just audio, but just picture. Most of you have seen Logan. It made us laugh. <laughs> Yeah, if if you've seen Logan, then you know you know what we're going for. Uh, yeah, no, pretty excited. Uh, it will give me a, an excuse to revisit some of her early movies and and to watch some of the ones that uh, I haven't yet. Like I've heard about the Canyons forever, and that's the only entry that I lobbied for while Alex was was constructing this thing, just because it's Paul Paul Schrader um, mm-hmm. directing Lindsay Lohan. In a movie that that sounded like it was falling apart faster than they could put it back together, and that just sounds fascinating. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. Hopefully, you patrons are as well. And uh, strap on because that starts uh, in April. Stay tuned. And now uh, I see uh, Rachel finished putting Ryan to bed because you know it's Australia, so they're like 16 hours ahead there, uh, and she's ready to come back and uh, get some real talking about Waitress, so let's do that. Dear baby, if I was writing you a letter, it would probably sound something like an apology. We move now to our Real Talk segment on Adrian Shelley's Waitress, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 21st of 2007, uh, reached its wide release in the U.S. on May 2nd of 2007. A very modest budget, uh, by no means am I trying to shame the film, it shows, of $1.5 million with a box office return of $22 million, starring, of course, Carrie Russell, Nathan Fillion, Cheryl Hines, Adrian Shelley, Eddie Jemison, and Jeremy Sisto, and of course... Matt Locke himself, Andy Griffith. Um, (laughs) Written and directed by Adrian Shelley. Like I said, a movie that does not feel of its time period. You know, like my immediate thought when I see something like this is like Sweet Home Alabama style. Like I'm not saying it's the same movie or same quality, but that time period of 
there was that dichotomy for a while of the hyper sex comedy, the American Pies, the Road Trips, the Van Wilders and whatnot. And then there were also those were like counterbalanced with these Sweet Home Alabamas and movies I felt like this of like these female tales of, you know, the, <laughs> Every movie that's coming to mind is Reese Witherspoon. I was going to say uh, <laughs> Legally Blonde, but these, you know, w- women are strong and can do shit too, even though it's just a really formulaic romantic comedy. And uh, that's always kind of what I thought this was. And this is my first viewing today. Um, and just, you know, based on the poster and everything, I still stand by my. This looks like it was released five years beforehand. And to think of I, it. I disagree. I feel like it is very much. Of that time. Like, it is similar in lots of ways to Juno, which we already brought up. It also takes a lot of weird cues from Gilmore Girls as well. Hmm. And, like, the tone of it. And I also think of movies like Saved. Have either of you heard of that? Matt, Mandy the, Moore. Macaulay Patrick, Culkin. Uh, yeah. Patrick Fwigget. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like how your response is just to list actors <laughs> that are in the movie. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but like it's similar to that of like that's a weird sort of dark-ish romantic comedy in a very strange way. And like the Nanny Diaries also came ar- out around that time. And that has a weirdly dark plot too. I guess my thing is, it's very weird to me that this movie came out the same year as Transformers. Like, that, <laughs> there seemed to be like this. This came out the same year as There Will Be Blood and No Country yeah. for Old Men. It seems like it exists in a different era than that. And I'm not saying that's bad one way or the other. It was just, when I read it, it was just kind of jarring. Um, I think it's just because it's uh, because it's a smaller movie. I think this is, you know, doing yeah, the rounds of that's the, what I was gonna say. Yeah, the independent circuit and. So it's uh, it it's kind of like they're... it's appealing to very different sensibilities mm-hmm. than the mainstream movies are, right? Like I mean, Save is also a smaller movie. Even Juno, I mean, yeah, Juno hit it big, but it was <laughs> in the beginning before the hype. It was kind of a smaller movie. So I think that um, it it yeah they they have that in common in. Where it's like the mainstream was doing something else or had moved past this type of story. Maybe there were the, the smaller movies were still kind of doing this, you know. The, I don't even know. It, I mean, I guess, is it a romantic comedy? I, I I think that it has like funny parts and I think that there's some romance in a way, but I don't even know if it's I would call it a romantic about comedy. The fact that it's a slice of life. Yeah. Rather than, than being strictly that kind of it's a, it's either a comedy or a drama because it's like well it ends with a happy ending so by Shakespeare rules it does <laughs> count as a comedy but I don't like laugh out loud at the jokes well Alex what what do you think romantic comedy slice of life slice uh... of pie you know, the way I like define and interpret movies is really singular in the sense of like uh, my opinions do not reflect those of the Contrarians podcast. Um, 
I did laugh really hard a couple times, specifically the part where Nathan Fillion says, I wish it was Friday. Like, I, I don't know why I laughed so hard at that, but. It's just so stupid. It, and it's it just is. like, he's a doctor? <laughs> yeah, I think there's like some legitimately funny stuff in it. it like when Carrie Russell uh, whispers under her breath about the pie, like dirty pumpkin pie or whatever she called it. Like she's like naming it to herself. Like that type of shit's funny. But then it's that scene with like Andy Griffith talking about like fucking the pie. And it's just, it feels like there's this comedy in there that's for like the real art house crowd. But then there's this comedy that's for like the real, you know, I guess seniors in the crowd or something. And it, it seems it's a movie to me that has a little bit of an identity crisis. And, you know, before we get too much further into it, I think it's time we bring in the old trusty critics at Rotten Tomatoes. We did call out 89% Rotten Tomatoes. So it's a, it's a, it's a good one. Has a pretty high standing. Uh, Julio, there's still 11% of those votes that said, nay, they said, uh, we're holding strong, holding firm on our stance. What was their stance that they took? We are cake people. We're not pie people. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start with Peter Bradshaw from Guardian, who says, you've heard of my big fat Greek wedding. This is my big, thin, white, abusive marriage. <laughs> <laughs> good on you, Peter. That's good. Yeah. Didn't uh, even make like a, a pie analogy or anything. No, Fantastic. He went for, for a completely different target. Uh, how How far removed are we from my big fat Greek wedding when Waitress comes out? Uh I, let me see here. I take pride on sometimes guessing years. I'm going to say 2002 and my big fat Greek wedding was released in 2002. Wow. All right. I know, my big fat Greek wedding did become a weirdly like sort of homogenous touch stone. Mm-hmm. That movie was a sensation. $370 yes. million dollars that movie made. What? Did it get a stage musical adaptation? <laughs> I- I'd be surprised if it didn't. <laughs> I guess it missed that that trend. We will get to the, the Waitress musical. Next, Stephen Himes from Film Snobs says, Completely inauthentic in every detail. The cinematic equivalent of an apple pie from Perkins. Alex, what is he talking about? What's Perkins? Isn't that a convenience store? Yeah, neither of us are going to have the answer, Alex. <laughs> okay, you don't have to make it known that I'm the fat guy on here, all right? I'm making it known that you're the American, you doofus. <laughs> uh, Perkins is an American casual dining restaurant chain that serves breakfast and other home styles. Um, th- there's apparently some... Uh, hold on. I- I'm going to research this and see what part of the country they're located in, but continue, Julio. Okay, well, we have one more. Kevin Carr from 7M Pictures says, full of whiny characters that eventually make the right decisions only after an unprecedented amount of hand-wringing. Yeah. Kevin Carr. It's, it's like he was part of the conversation in Trans Corner. Our, one of our main <laughs> critiques is like, why didn't she do what she does at the end? Why didn't she do it at the beginning of the movie? Why did she need a baby? So I guess we'll we'll talk about that too. But yeah, the musical. Let's get the musical out of the way. Is the is the Jeremy Sisto character in the musical as nasty as he is in the in the movie? Um, no. Like I feel like Earl Earl isn't as menacing in the musical. Like I'm pretty sure he doesn't slap her because like they pretty much confine 
all of it to the pie shop. So we don't, and we get some like pie shop and the doctor's office are like the two main sets. Mm-hmm. So I so don't that's... feel like they introduce that. And we definitely don't get a sex scene. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I would remember <laughs> if they did that. We've come such a long way. Don't turn it back now, babe. You're my family. Now promise me to the end of time. These are ties that bind. Sing it, honey. So that scene, not the sex scene, which is not fun, uh, the scene when they're in bed and he's like trying to kiss her and she's not feeling well. Apparently, that was originally supposed to uh, conclude with, I guess, him having sex with her against her will type thing. And more Adrian, over rape. Yes. And like I, the line when he said, you're my sweet thing. When he delivered that on set, like while they were filming the scene, it caused Adrian Shelley to be like, nope, shut it down. We're not doing this. So <laughs> changed it to just, yeah, just him like yep. going to sleep. Uh, good call. Uh, and I think that that maybe mm-hmm. opens up the the main area of discussion when it comes to Waitress. <laughs> I, I am curious, Rachel, how much of Contreras Corner were uh, your real feelings and how much of it was just you doing a really good job of pretending that you were really upset at some things that this movie does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Most of the, like those were honest critiques that I have of this film. But I overall still enjoy it. I know that it's deeply pro- problematic and I know that it has its problems, but a big part of it is that I watched this film at a pitch perfect time in my life. Like I got given this film my mum bought it home like she bought it from the supermarket (laughs) um and she bought it home and and my mum had never heard of it like she just looked at the cover when like and it's like mostly covered with like the pink ribbon (laughs) stuff and it just has this photo of carrie russell with a pie (laughs) I was I've been on two dates with this uh gal that I I met on uh a dating app and last night I cannot remember for the life of me what movie we were talking about but she said she bought it at a, a dollar general like she just saw it and like I wanted to grab her and kiss her and just be like god I love those stories so much. So Rachel I, I didn't mean to cut you off there but all right so the movie comes home from the grocery store you pop it in. Yeah. How's it hitting yeah. you? And I was like this is weird and quirky, which was totally the type of teenager that I was. I fell head over heels in love with Garden State. Ooh. That was the kind of teenager that I was. That that paints a picture, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, gives you a very clear indication of where I was at and what my tastes were like. I think that for the benefit of everybody let's let's paint the picture now how do you feel about garden state now i fucking hate it 
<laughs> All right. We're back I on track. <laughs> like, it is a trash piece of utter garbage. <laughs> I tried to rewatch it when I was older, like, because I just watched it the first time. And I was like, I love it so much. I can't rewatch it because I don't want to taint the experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is, uh, I've talked about Boondock Saints. When I watched that when I was a teenager, I was like, this is so cool. And then I rewatched it. I was like, this is a piece of dog shit. And I was like, why did I ever like this movie? So, and, and like, you know, despite what people may say, well, uh, I guess it would sound pretentious to say this, but there, people have to have like a movie they saw when they were younger and they thought it was really fucking cool because it like kind of it hits the bat like it's the Truman Show it hits mm. like the limit of your brain at that time yeah and it's like oh this is like all the experiences I've had up until this point this seems really cool and then you rewatch it after having more experiences and um and Waitress honest, is a better movie than Garden State <laughs> I don't trust people who don't have that experience because. If they don't, it means that their tastes haven't evolved since they were teenagers. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a massive red flag. <laughs> yes. Like, if there's nothing, if there's nothing, you're either a snob and you're like, I only ever watched good movies. Or you're like, oh, no, I've just had fantastic taste this whole time and I never waste my time on things that I think are going to be garbage. Things that are rewarding, though, are um, things that you liked when you were younger and you grow up to learn they're even better than you knew they were. That's like my thing yep. with the Ramones. Like, I really liked mm. the Ramones when I was a teenager. And like now I'm like, oh, yeah, they were way more important and better than I thought they were when I was younger. Yeah. But like the things that you think that you're like being countercultural for liking because nobody else your age does and you don't know how big they are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's not an experience that young people have now because they immediately know how big anything is by looking it up. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't be like, oh, I discovered this little thing called blah, blah, and genuinely not know <laughs> that it's. God, like, I I was uh I was visiting our uh, social media guru Zoe uh, a couple of days ago, and Baywatch came on her TV, and I was like, "Why is your TV on Baywatch?" Because the TV kind of like turned on and off and or off and on, and when it came back on, it automatically went to whatever channel was playing Baywatch, and uh, and I made a comment about that, and she's like, "Yeah, Baywatch is just really weird. It's like CSI but on the beach." And then I realized that <laughs> I realized that she didn't know Baywatch. You know what I mean? Like for her, it was like just this this rarity that was like on TV, and and she was just kind of yeah. trying to wrap her mind around it. it. Whereas like for me, it was like ah oh, ha ha Baywatch. I remember Baywatch from when I was a kid. And yeah, so you're right, Rachel. And yet there are some things that remain a mystery <laughs> for some oh, people. Oh yeah, like if you don't look it up, you don't know. Yeah. So um. Back to where we were starting from, Rachel, we bogarted your personal story here. So <laughs> waitress comes home from the grocery store. Yes. And uh, it just speaks to all your sensibilities at the time. Is that what happened? Yes. And I, I guess I'm also like this story is not happy and cheerful necessarily, but it is a part of my history with the film. Um, <laughs> film feels really weird because it's not like. Yeah, we've gotten personal about movies on here before and stuff, so yeah. we're, we welcome it. Uh, so in 
in the film, like I do find it weird that this character, like, like I do think that it's strange that it takes this long for her to get the spine to stand up to her husband because of the interactions that we see. Um, but I also have a personal history with that situation because my mum was in a abusive marriage and it did take her a number of years to get the confidence to leave my dad and it was a whole process and it was years of work um and it was a gift from my grandparents of money that actually got her to finally leave my dad um and she finally left when I was about three years old so the idea of Kerry Russell's character having a kid and finally being like, no, this is enough. The difference, like one of the major differences being that I was the third kid that my mum had. (laughs) So it it wasn't like, I have a kid I need to protect. (laughs) It was like the idea of leaving for the sake of your children really connected to me in a way and that wasn't a story that I'd seen be told in any films before. So it felt Mm. really special because these characters are really messy and imperfect. And that's something that I really connected to because it wasn't like that sheen that films often give off because like living in a small rural town in Australia I didn't see a lot of low-budget indie films where you get that a lot more, which is part of why I latched on so hard to movies like this and to Garden State because they show those kinds of characters. And that's more of what I saw in my life than the big-budget films provided. I do have one question. Shoot. How pregnant am I exactly? Very pregnant. There's really only one degree of pregnancy, so to speak. No, I mean, uh, how far along am I? Uh, about six weeks, give or take. Yeah, that was all getting me drunk that night, all right. That makes a lot of sense uh, because I, I think that I and we probably brought it up on the show before. Like I had a, a similar experience watching indie American movies in Peru, and even after moving here, there was just something that just seemed like it was a window into a world that I was not surrounded by or that I wasn't, I didn't get that much access to. And I think that there is, when I enjoy Waitress and what I enjoy about Waitress, a lot of it has to do with just how, it's not that I cut the movie slack because it's an independent American movie, but I think that it does have an effect. Like that aspect of it has an effect on me when I watch it. have a different expectations uh, you have a different expectation on american indie films because their goals are different they're made with a different audience and purpose in mind yep so you bring that along with you if you know that context you see it through that lens and i think that there's a i think that there's a charm to to just the I don't know what they're so I really like what they're doing here as far as having this group of actors 
interact with each other in, in this specific way. The, the three waitresses I I adore. I think that they're so strong, uh, independent of their stories. <laughs> Just like the interaction of these three these three women. It, it's something that I think that on a bigger budget in a more on a more mainstream uh, production. Maybe I would even criticize for being just kind of, uh, I don't know, you know, I would be like, oh, why don't you dig deeper? Or why why are these aspects of the movie being told so broadly? But when you see it yeah. here, I don't know, it it, it just works for me. There's, there, there's uh, So there's the, the, the independent low-budget charm in a way. But there's also the fact that I think that they, now that we're in real talk, I think that they're all of them. I don't care if they came from TV or, or, or if they were not doing or ever did much when it came to movies, but I think that they're just really good. They have that that charisma, uh, mainly the three waitresses. But uh, I mean, Nathan Fillion is 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 pretty good, and uh, yeah, you you get the sense that they've been friends for a long time, and that they usually work the same shifts, and they've got a. Uh, routine and a sense of like they're very comfortable with each other but you also get the feeling that they're work friends not friend friends like I can't imagine them hanging out much outside of work a lot I feel like the diner is like their place that they spend the majority of their time I was thinking that you see them hanging out at the end, but no, they're hanging out at the pie shop at the new, yeah. at the new pie shop. Yeah, uh, but there is it's like a birthday party, a wedding at the pie shop. Yep. They work at the pie shop, <laughs> and it's just like what I can't imagine what any of them do when they get home. They talk about the pie shop as someone who's <laughs> spent considerable amount of time around fucking small town America. It's uh, and no disrespect to anyone who's listening out in small town America. It's just, it's a vicious cycle out there, man. It's um, get drunk, start fights, meet a girl, get pregnant, live there, hate it, that type of thing. Yeah. And you get stuck. Like, n- none of these characters had the uh, big city dreams that you would see in a lot of other films. It's not like Jenna's like, I'm going to go to New York and win the pie contest and get an internship at the greatest bakery. It's like, no, she wants to go win a pie contest in like the neighboring city so she can win like, was it? I always get confused. Grand. Yeah, with the way that Americans say numbers sometimes, because it's just like, <laughs> is what, does that mean two thousand five hundred or twenty five thousand? Twenty five thousand, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, that that that's a good chunk of change. But also, she was like, well, if I double my budget, I can afford to leave my husband. That would also <laughs> be realistic. And it's just like, well, um, Becky, I. I do like that. Um, I think it's the musical that adds the idea that she left and came back. Mm-hmm. The idea of people falling back into the places that they know, and that's not just a thing in the like southern states of the USA. 
there are pockets of that all over the place where it's like people leave but they come back. My hometown is a bit like that where a lot of people will go off to uni and then they'll move back and start their families in their hometown. Yeah, that was uh, extremely xenophobic of me to say that, like, it's exclusive to just America. But, uh, <laughs> well, but you that's know your it. experiencing that's, that's, witnessing it. Yeah, that's what I, you've seen. So it yeah. makes sense that that would be your point of reference. But that's the thing. I think that's a that's a trick in this movie, though, Alex, because they you can tell the story as a tragedy it, 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 without changing much of what happens, and yet, I mean, I guess we can discuss how each of us experiences the ending, but I found it like, for example, the Dawn storyline where she gets together with Augie and it kind of like what we made fun of in Contrarian's Corner, like that should be a paper. It can read so easily as something that's tragic, right? She, she settles for this guy. That's kind of a creep. Yeah. <laughs> but she's like, I don't want to be an unhappy wife. He makes me happy. He loves me. That's enough. But I think that the, the, the talent of the actors, at least in my case, did enough to sell it to me as a happy development by the end. You know, at the end, I was just happy that yeah. she was happy and he was happy and, and everybody seemed to be yeah. happy. And that is that is not that easy to pull off, I think, <laughs> especially because we're already coming into no. it with, with, you know, th- these experiences that we all have when it comes to these situations. Yeah, I got like uh, my cousin in a similar situation uh, the guy she married wasn't a creep or anything um they they've since split but like uh it was just one of those things like he's a good dude he's a nice guy uh it just felt like a situation of like this is you know i'm in the parameters of this place so i need to find what's here for me and i guess that's the thing of like i, I don't i don't know i I feel so entitled when I say shit like that, just having the benefit of kind of bouncing around and uh, getting different experiences and stuff. So sometimes when I like when I watch movies like this, I feel like sad. It makes me sad. It's like um, money obviously does not grow on trees as the expression goes. And I get that. And there's also just like this huge emotional hurdle of people getting out of what they're comfortable with and what they know. But that was yeah. kind of like my thing watching this. It's I was like so bummed at the end. It's uh, you, you want that person to get out and see uh, the Halloween ends, man. The end we're fucking um, <laughs> Andy Matichak. What's her name in the movie? Allison. She's leaving town. You know, it's, that's kind of what you want for people. Uh, yeah. and that's like what I want for people literally in real life that I know. So it makes movies like this uh, a little bittersweet, uh, you know, pardon the food pun um, and uh, kind of life on its side watching. So but you would feel you would have felt better if she just left at the end instead of having the pie shop there. We just saw her with the pie shop in, I don't know. Yeah. New York. Okay. So the, the pie shop <laughs> and thing. And they put construction paper over <laughs> the existing pie shop to make it look like it's different. <laughs> but you can see like the seams of the paper that they've stuck on the roof. <laughs> Loved the panning shot at the end of all the slices of pie, the really colorful ones. I thought that was uh, a fantastic on the shot. Yes. Looked I thought, so good. 
Well, yeah. In addition to making my mouth water, I thought just Mm. from a film standpoint looked fantastic. And I think the thing is, too, uh, having gone to high school in Kyle, Texas, which, you know, I guess the irony is like I only live 15. What are we? We're not even 20 miles away from Kyle Julio, but it's still like the small town mentality there is that i mean julio and i still live in the city like there's people that are fucking Mm. if there's no traffic we can be there in 20 minutes to think julio and i are weird for living like in the shit that type of thing (laughs) and the the kicker of it was um there's a pie shop on main street in kyle that like at the end of this movie when they showed the outside it doesn't look like close to it but it was still just like oh shit like all these emotions <laughs> i had about small town throughout it it culminates in this pie shop uh they were known for their lemon squares that were just unreal but uh, yeah i don't know how i would have had the ending because you get like a movie yeah. like this you you have to tie it up with all the characters you have to have dawn there and you have to have becky and uh i guess short of like you know, Joe Dirt style, just like a quick cutaway to Earl being run over by a car or thrown off a cliff or something. I don't know what you do. Yeah, it's just like it's it, it's that weird thing of like you don't really want to see him again, but you want some more conclusion. But you're also just happy enough to know that, well, he's not part of their lives. And that feels good in its own way. I don't love you, Earl. I haven't loved you for years. I want a divorce. <laughs> well, that's not a funny joke. We got this new baby here. Shouldn't be making jokes like I that. I want you the hell out of my life. You are never to touch me ever again. I am done with you. If you ever come within six yards of me, I will flatten your sorry ass and I will enjoy doing it. I wonder if it's if that was a, a budgetary thing overall. You know, that the, the original script would have her leaving because they set it up so well they they have madlock telling her throughout the movie that she needs to get out and then the last message that she that he passes on to her is hey get out of here here's the money like start fresh but then there's that sense of what would the film do with the fact that she would be leaving dawn and becky behind and though those two women are her family in this film they're the two people that care about her the most and want to protect her and want her to be happy and are upset at the state of her life. But that's the thing. I think that they would be happy to see her leave. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, one of those, uh, we know that this is for the, I I think that what, what would make it okay is that she has this little girl now and the, yeah. That final shot where they're walking away and they're looking back and they're waving and all that stuff. That is what the that's what makes the ending so good for me. Not so much I mean the pie shop is cute, but the just the fact that she's raising this girl and you get the feeling that she's going to do her best not to let this little girl have the type of life that she had. Uh, yeah. So that's why yeah, if I put on my snarky glasses, I can go like, oh, you know, she had to have the baby in order to kick Jeremy Sisto to the curb and break up with yeah. Nathan Fillion and all that stuff. But at the same time, on an emotional level, it did get me when because she's a really good actress. I, I love Carrie Russell. And she's looking yeah. at that baby and you can see what's going through her mind and she sees herself 
you know, she's just uh, the movie may be uneven and it may go too far sometimes or not far enough at others. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think now that we're in real talk, like the message is clear that it's <laughs> when it's talking about the the very specific uh, hardships that can come upon you if you're a woman. <laughs> and so it makes sense that at the end she gives birth to a woman and she kind of she gets this inner strength to to finally change her yeah. life. In that instant, she is a mother. Mm-hmm. And I think she deeply connects to her view of her own mother in that moment as well of like, no, I've got, I've got to do this and living for more than herself as well. Yeah. So that's why I would have been okay with her moving away, even if that means leaving Dawn and Becky behind. Uh, she would still. Yeah, I I do think that they would both be happy for her. I um, I don't know it, the the notion of like having a kid immediately changes your life is something that you know I'm I'm getting old. I'm 36 now and shit. So like, <laughs> I, and like I'm 30. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm 36, still undecided if I want to have kids. And I always say my window is closing, and people are like, well, men can have kids anytime. I don't want to be fucking Larry King, 75, <laughs> <laughs> fucking a 30 year old. But like, no. I, I, you know, my, my, uh, my good look unless you have enough money behind you. Yeah, or if I'm just like all elbows like Larry King, you know, people just feel bad for you. Like, oh, well, at least he's having sex. But my old man always tells me like, you know, having a kid changes you. And I, I, I get that yeah. to a certain level. And there's plenty of examples of people that have been like yeah. changed by having kids, but like uh, this watching is extreme. Yeah. Yeah. Watching this, like... it's just like, she looks at her kid and it go like, I don't know. It's the, um, Simpsons where Maggie's born is a really good example of like uh, Homer doesn't really want this third kid. Like his life is in balance. But then when he sees Maggie, like he just realizes, you know, how important this is. And then this, it's like, uh, she's against it the whole way. There's even that part where she wants to see Nathan Fillion and the female doctors like, Oh, well we need to take your blood pressure do tests to see if the baby's okay oh i don't care about that and then you know even when she has the kid she says as she's making the final push i don't want this baby and then there's that okay. really dramatic thing where she won't even look at it and then she looks at it and her whole life falls into place she's like and, give me give me yes. <laughs> and that is I, i'm bringing weight into this that is movie shit and that's oh, how no, movies no, no. are I meant agree. to be crafted i agree, I agree. oh yeah i also agree a hundred percent it's movie shit it's it's the because movie yes and you know immediately (laughs) yeah i'm not saying it doesn't work at all like that's that's the thing i just as for me watching this i i guess i had kind of heavy emotions about the whole thing because i you know i'm still trying to figure out that whole kid shit and then watching this it's uh it's it's interesting and it and it works for the sake of the movie and it kind of does it's it's what you and i always talk about julio it's the perfect way too of she has the kid realizes that movie's over. It's like climax happens, boom, we're out of there. <laughs> and, you know, in a movie that's made today, there'd be another 30 minutes of the movie where, you know, she's not, oh, yeah. you know, she's not sure and all that. And so uh, I do enjoy it. And I do really enjoy uh, the way she ends things with Nathan Fillion because 
people are going to get hurt no matter what in a in a fair. Like that's I I think this movie does a good job of there's I I've done things in my life I'm not proud of in the way of, you know, being unfaithful to people and I know like kind of the feeling of that of um you're with this other person secretly and you feel like it's the the best thing and this is what solution to your problems in life and that's sort of the way that the film treats affairs is that they make your life better (laughs) yes but it does in the end our main character our our titular character waitress realizes that uh you know this shit's not going to end well any way it goes and she is fortunate in a place where she can get out. And I guess that kind of does make it an unfair advantage because in most affairs, there's four people that are going to get hurt. In this case, you know, she she doesn't give a fuck. Take this moon pie and fuck (laughs) off. And so I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And so we don't know. (laughs) Only my daughter matters. (laughs) Honestly, we don't Everybody else. (laughs) We don't know. We honestly don't care what is going to happen with Nathan Fillion, but like that's, typically how most affairs should end is a like a cauterization of a wound is just like boom we're in and out and so i appreciate that the movie doesn't try to do anything cute with like you know nathan fillion running after or anything like that it's um uh it's a movie that tackles grown-up issues in a very movie way but still has like a grown-up twinge to it so yeah it's it's an interesting piece of business so so speaking of Nathan Fillion though, now that we're in real talk, where do you guys how do you guys feel about the affair overall? Because uh as I was watching it, <laughs> I was I was trying to figure out if the movie was trying to do this thing, trying to 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 just mind fuck me into really <laughs> get invested in this relationship that is wrong by all accounts, only to pull the rug out from under me at the end and go like you got invested, but you shouldn't have because you knew this was wrong. You know what I mean? Like he's, <laughs> yes, Jeremy Sisto is scum. So it's not so much about him, but the sense that she's going in, she's hooking up with this guy that has a wife that for all we know is is just a normal person that doesn't yeah, deserve this. Like, so we compare her to Ethel, Cal's wife. Right. We're like, she's, he, because Becky's trying to defend the affair. And Jenna shuts her down, like, no, we know her. She's nice. <laughs> yep. So watching <laughs> the like, movie, no. <laughs> do you guys fall under the spell of Nathan Fillion? Do were you just kind of rooting for this to to continue to work Not out? Really. It never it never really wants you to. It's always the story of Carrie Russell is the thing. Like I don't feel like I feel like Nathan Fillion could be anybody. Not literally, you know, but like the <laughs> idea of the way I read it is like we're following her story and yeah, I guess he might be good for her, but I don't know. I guess maybe watching this at a younger age when I had a bit more <laughs> naivety and belief in love, I could have had a different yeah. view on it, but it's uh that's the way I took it. It's just kind of like his story is kind of inconsequential. It's about her. Yeah. The way that I see their relationship and like I've rewatched the film a number of times since I was a teenager and I still have that original copy that my mum got. <laughs> and I see it as she 
reaches out for happiness. There's this sort of reoccurring thing. Like she start even gets to the point where she's asking people, are you happy? And when Earl breaks down, he's just like, I just want us to be happy. And she's just trying to find something else that makes her happy. Because making pies is what she enjoys in life. And then she finds this other thing that makes her happy. And she quits when it no longer serves her. (laughs) Um, That's true. And it, it... like the film does sort of see relationships in that way, particularly affairs, as being very transactional. It's you get something out of this, I get something out of it. But they do end it in a very adult way of being like, no, like we said, we're going to put aside all of the potential repercussions and she's like now I- i'm done i'm done i think it's because i just want her to be happy and to get out of there that i i do feel a little bummed that even you know there's no rational thinking it's just <laughs> the way i feel when i'm watching the movie yeah th- when they are just so close to actually leaving. I don't know if that would have worked out or how long they would have gone before they, they started having th- second thoughts about leaving town or whatever. But he he's literally on his way yeah. to just, I guess, get the car yeah. so they can leave and then her water breaks. Yeah. And that was... Especially because it has that weird bit before um, before like her waters break when she's sitting on the steps. She's watching the mum be like <laughs> tortured by her toddler with the silly string. Yeah. Um, and it's like, nobody tells you how hard it's going to be. And then it goes in, like, then he comes out and it's just like, okay, where is this going? What is that meant to mean? How is that affecting her viewpoint in that moment? Was she going to say, no, that's not enough? Or, like what how did that affect her i don't really know and i'm just like and then we move on mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. okay. yeah the, the the kind of genius of the movie is that it knows how to play with your emotions enough that like you you stop thinking about it because it's, it, you're on to the next big emotional moment you know what i mean because like, i i had the exact same thought when when this happened i was like that's right because i remember that she has a kid and the entire yeah. time i could be thinking okay how do we get to the point where she is happy to be a mom and the answer is like oh she just sees the baby <laughs> yeah got a little baby girl inside you there's nothing more beautiful it's an alien and a parasite it makes me tired and weak it complicates my whole life i resent it all right rachel and julio i fear we reach a grim portion of this podcast as Check in Carnacio on the incomparable Laps fan would say, in that we have to address uh, the death of Adrian Shelley, who was murdered shortly before this movie came out. I didn't realize how close in proximity to this. Uh, she was murdered in November of 2006, and this premiered at Sundance in January of 2007. Um, now, I don't particularly feel the need to go into the details of it. That's widely published and uh, broadcast. It's 
um, interesting sounds positive, and I don't want to say that, but it's a it's a really sad case uh, and uh, unfortunate what happened to her. But it did lead to a little bit of like unprecedented context. Or, yeah, and it was the thing of it was a movie that premiered at Sundance without its director, uh, Nancy Utley, the chief operating officer at Fox searchlight said seeing waitress at Sundance was a really emotional experience. A typical format for the festival is that a director, uh, is introduced to say a few words before the film begins. It was painful from the beginning to see that there was no director to introduce the film since Adrian had just died. So the producer and Adrian's husband, Andy, talked about how it had been Adrian's dream to have a film at Sundance, and it was very poignant. And then it was picked up. And also, you know, when some studios sign on to do movies, or at least did back in those days, part of it during that era was, you know, follow-up, DVD commentary, things like that. And uh, Carrie Russell filled in for Miss Shelley and recorded the commentary track in her place for it. And also... um, feels pretty appropriate you know uh, she was one of the co-writers of the uh, the pie song baby don't you cry it was her and andrew hollander that wrote that it's uh it obviously doesn't play much into the subject material of the movie itself but when discussing this movie it's obviously something that has to come up and it was particularly like in a lot of the reviews it's like one of the first things that's mentioned about the movie is that came in the wake of this tragedy and I'm not not sure about the timeline of things but that premiere in Sundance may have also happened while they still thought that her death was a suicide not a murder because that was the assumption for a while Uh, but a lot of the reviews are like oh, you can't talk trash about Waitress because the director died and people are afraid to really bring the critiques of this movie because it's her last movie and it was such a tragedy and it colours a lot of what people say about this movie. I mean, I can see that. I was, I I mean, I was, I was, uh, uh, the first time I watched it, I didn't know. Uh, I found out after watching it and then just doing some research. That was, like I said, years ago. But watching it this time, I I was aware. I texted Alex. I was like, I remembered that Adrian Shelley had died before the movie came out. But what I didn't remember is that she's in the movie and she plays one of the main characters. That's the thing yeah. that as I was watching it, it was it added this extra, uh, you know, poignancy. She's a writer, director, star. Yeah, because you see her there, and she is playing mm-hmm. probably the most innocent character in the movie, and and she's I think she's really good, and I think she's really funny. But obviously, the movie is not designed to make you feel sad when you see that that character. But when you watch it, knowing what we know, then it's it's kind of inevitable. You know, I was still laughing at what yeah. she was saying. I was still enjoying the story, but there was like a part of me that was just bummed because it, mm. you know, it's it's. It hits you even harder when you have it in front of the camera. It's it's a lot harder to separate it. Yeah. And so, of course, and then, yeah, I can see people being hesitant to to maybe critique it. But I don't, at the same time, I don't know that that would be an excuse to give it props that it doesn't deserve. I, I think that uh, critics, and I'm not including 
myself in this, you know, but people that make a living out of like analyzing film and all that stuff. I mean, I think they have the tools necessary to <laughs> to provide constructive criticism and yeah. analyze a movie without being offensive or disrespectful. <laughs> Not whether mm-hmm. they choose to use those tools as a different uh, story, but I, I, I don't know. I think that if you say, "Hey, I don't feel like I can criticize this movie because." Uh, the the writer director star uh, suffered a horrible fate at the end. I, I think that you're kind of making excuses. I think that you can maybe get by with that at the beginning, but eventually, if you really want to assess the movie, you would assess it, you know, and yeah, just acknowledge it, acknowledge how that affects you. But in the end, if if something doesn't work, yeah, I mean, which makes it a really interesting film to discuss because it's a film that I I enjoy. I enjoy Waitress. I think that it's a very complicated film and it's dealing with very complicated issues and then there's the further drama that what happened to the director like impacts and connects to because the film is very much about uh, difficult experiences that women face very much from that perspective and then you have the reality of what she ended up experiencing and the impact on the broader community and people that connected to this film I wrote Waitress when I was about eight months pregnant with Sophie and I was really scared about having a baby I just couldn't imagine what my life was going to be after I had a baby I thought it was going to change so drastically that I wasn't even going to recognize myself anymore I was terrified the actual fear of how your life is going to change which is large in a lot of women is not spoken about it's sacrilege to say that you know becoming a mother is you're not allowed you're just not allowed to have a fear about it so I I wanted to write a movie about those fears and you know give those fears a voice but I also knew that you know when you actually have the child that this other kind of love probably kicks in that you can't even imagine which is true it's a complete utter unconditional kind of love and it does change your life in a in a beautiful way and it's it is a love letter to my to my baby Let's uh, let's do scores, Alex. I think that we we're ready. We've we've kind of expressed our feelings, and I've I've been wavering. This is well, actually, how? Which order do you want to go? Are we doing a contrarian sandwich, or are we starting with Rachel? What, oh, what do you I'll start because y'all both like this movie more than I do. Uh, it's on my letter scale. I, I think like C plus. Like it's good. It's nothing to me that is particularly blow away. Um, it, like I just kind of found myself kind of trying to figure out what it was trying to say. And Carrie Russell's great. Nathan Fillion, you know, it, I was a fan of his and no one is bad in this. Um, but I don't think like it's a particularly great movie. So like C plus would be my letter grade for it. Um, but yeah, we'll do a contrarian sandwich. So we'll go to Rachel next. Rachel, I do letter grades. Julio does on a scale of five. You are free to rate or rank this any way you want. Just let us know what your system is and famously let us know uh, Ryan where it falls. Ryan does yums. So yes, I am obligated to uh, <laughs> give a yum or a yum 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 being bad, yum yum being good. No half yums and no half yums. Um, I enjoy this movie, but it's a yum. 
what? Like, it's it's not it's not a great movie. I like it, but objectively, it is not that good of a movie. It's a middling movie. Like I would probably give it like it's like a six or a seven out of ten for me. All right, but I really like I I like it, but I know that it's not that good, <laughs> and I have that relationship with a lot of things that I watched and loved as a teenager. That's a, that's quite a plot twist. <laughs> I was Fair. not expecting that. <laughs> I was like, this is we're surely because in I, yum yum territory. I, no, because I genuinely believe all of those things that I said in the contrarian corners, and those are big problems to have with the film yes uh which is why i was i was conflicted because i this is i don't think it happens often and this actually might be the first time that a conversation uh during the episode makes me consider lowering my rating instead of make it higher because usually what happens is we talk about it and and during the conversation things that i hadn't appreciated are brought up and i I agree with them, and so it bumps up my score. But uh, it's not that I hadn't noticed the problematic parts of Waitress, but it's just that uh, shining a light on them <laughs> during our conversation made them even more uncomfortable. So I'm conflicted because that you're right that like those parts are like serious flaws. But then on the other hand, I have to way how much i enjoy the movie when it works and uh yeah the- and the characterization mm-hmm. and the the music i th- i think that the score is really beautiful um i love their choice they're very deliberate with their choices of license music mm-hmm. yeah the song that um, plays when she's having her her big smile moment which starts with her looking really confused and then slowly morphs into her yeah. smiling and the song that's playing there, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Uh, I love this, the, the line that you quoted in Katrina's Corner about how she hopes that her daughter finds some, you know, somebody that will hug her for 20 minutes, just hold her yeah. and all those moments. Yeah, that add an ounce of selfishness to it. Like I've genuinely thought of getting that tattooed on me in some way. Because I love that moment and that line so much. It's it, it's a beautiful sentiment. So, uh, I so I was going between four stars because I love so much all that stuff, and you know I was like, but I should really lower it to three and a half because it's more, you know, if you're being objective about the movie, looking at it. So I generally rate with my heart. I like if and and the ending is so good that I I mm. kind of want to give it four stars, but. Uh, it I holds guess, you back. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna go with three and a half. I'll I'll settle with three and a half just because. Uh, I mean, you can't ignore all the things that we discussed. <laughs> and, and that ties back in. Remember at the the top of the show when I gave you the quote from the Australian film reviews. Yes, sexy Nathan Fillion. They both gave it. Yes, they both gave it three and a half stars. Okay, well then there you go. That's. That settles it. I'm going to be in line with those (laughs) Australian critics. All right. Well, as we tend to do here on The Contrarians, we give you the most comprehensive deep dive psychologically into the most innocuous films you can think of. So, you know, (laughs) I don't know what is all on the internet, but I know you're not going to find too many more uh, deeper dives into Waitress than that one. Um, Mm -hmm. 
But that's going to wrap it up here. So before Julia and I get out of here, we have to thank our guest, Rachel. And we need to... Thank you for having uh, me. Oh, absolutely. And we need to give you the floor now for Yum Yum Pod and anything else you want to plug. So tell us what you do and where we can find you. Uh, We at Yum Yum Pod do deep dives episode by episode into different TV shows. And uh, at this stage, we've covered mostly science fiction. Uh, We've done Discovery and Picard. Unfortunately for me, because I hate <laughs> both of those shows. But fortunately for me, my husband decided to show some mercy and chuck me the bone that um, has a lot of meat on it to dig into in a podcast to continue the metaphor. Uh, <laughs> and we are covering Babylon 5. And it's exciting because we should be finishing up our coverage of the series this year, which is really strange to think about because it's such a beefy show. Um, And we do that week by week. You can find us on various podcatchers as well as social medias. Um, On social medias, we're Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. And if you want to hear us talk non-sci-fi, your best shot of that is checking out our Patreon. Yum yum. Check out Yum Yum Pod. Uh, I've I've been there a couple times. Uh, it, the reason I watched Babylon Five, I finished now. The reason I watch all of it is because of Yum Yum Pod and because of Ryan and Rachel inviting me every now and then. And so I have to keep up with what they what they were doing. Uh, this has been Waitress. Alex, let's talk about what lies ahead. It's time to look to the future and what's on deck next for us. Coming up next, the patron takeover continues. Patron Jason, also known as Nerd Revert, is making us watch the 0% movie Dark Crimes. It's a Jim Carrey vehicle. Jim Carrey's career, you know, it's it's we're at the stage now where he does really weird stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Uh, will this be a similar experience to the last 0% movie that we watched, Left Behind? Who knows? We'll find out next episode. All right. Another 0%er entering the Contrarian's canon. I'm cautiously optimistic because if nothing else, we should be able to get some good material from it. And we like Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's get out of here. All right. Well, we'll start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo, also the man behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. It's a little tomato looking at himself in the mirror, doing other things. That's usually Hans's handiwork. You can check out the rest of his output on his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. There you'll see a list for his novels. He writes a lot of fantasy stuff, zombie-related stuff. And as we said, he has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. He's been a strong supporter of the show from very early on, and uh, we continue to be grateful for it. Thank you, Hans. LateNightGrin.com 
Go say hey to Joe and the boys over there. They got you covered for any and all professional wrestling podcasting needs. It's WrestleMania season, so they're going to be working in overdrive over there. Much like with ours, a dollar will get you entry to their patron. Uh, but they also have their YouTube channel, Twitter account, Twitch account. Great guys discuss the ridiculousness of the world that is professional wrestling and from time to time discuss movies as well i can always count on joe to get my obscure movie references so good stuff latenightgrin.com check it out and as always we want to close by giving thanks to our social media guru and czar zoe perez and also our buddy Corey ari has been helping out with some of our uh, youtube videos recently making them look real pretty and has those fun thumbnails that you see of uh you know all the pros the way they do it and things that julio and i could never really we wouldn't be uh literate enough in the youtube realm to figure out so we appreciate uh, the work that they do for us and making our social media look oh so pretty and popping facebook.com slash contrarian prime youtube.com slash at contrarian prime at contrarian prime on instagram Corey, zoe thank you so much for the the effort you give us and most importantly thank you to you our adoring and listening public for tuning in to yet another episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we'll catch you next time thank you again for having me and hopefully i'll talk again soon pie <laughs> <laughs>